often heard Flag speak of you. Oh, yes? Yes, he thinks you show great promise, particularly in the study of blood composition. That's very kind of you. Yes, I may wish to discuss that subject with you myself someday. I'd like to any time. Oh, he's ill. We're both victims of... Of what? Go on, Kane. Victims of what? Circumstance. This is Plausibly Live. It is a pretty well-known Dave Diamond fact. Those are my favorites. That I am a huge Humphrey Bogart film fan. Not like one of those weird people I can't tell you, you know, this shot was done with a 16 millimeter and that camera was done. None of that. I just enjoy watching Humphrey Bogart act. I think that he was generational as an actor. I think that he brought something to the screen that actors today just don't seem to have. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it's a believability as much as I like some actors, they're just not believable in some roles. But Humphrey Bogart had a way of making you believe that he really was that person, whatever it was the role. Rick in Casablanca, Sam Spade in The Maltese Falcon. I really enjoy those movies. In fact, uh, I think Casablanca is the greatest movie ever made. It's not my favorite Humphrey Bogart movie, though. My favorite is, is The Maltese Falcon. That said, I've seen a lot of Humphrey Bogart films, but something weird happened this weekend, surprisingly. There was a Humphrey Bogart film on TMC that I had never seen before. Now, that's unusual enough. What's really unusual is they, they show the ones I haven't seen because the ones I haven't seen are the real you know, rarities. Uh, but this one was on this weekend, and it was... One that I had not seen. And it turns out that this film, uh, The Return of Dr. X, is, well, (laughs) it's pretty bad. I'm just going to say that. If you're looking for a well-written, great piece of horror or science fiction, uh, this isn't it. It is entertaining, don't get me wrong. And there's some things I'm going to talk about with this film that, that are entertaining. But it's, it, it's a film that, boy, Humphrey Bogart hated this film. I got a suspicion that if he had a way to do it, he would have had every copy of this film destroyed. But as you're looking at the, the uh, on the screen there, if you're looking at the, uh, sorry, I got distracted. If you're looking at the the movie poster there, you're going to notice something here in this 1939 film. Humphrey Bogart is the third of four stars listed. Now, this this was unusual, particularly towards the latter part of his career. But at the time, he was what was known as a studio actor. He was in the studio system, which meant that he worked for Warner. And when you worked in the studio system, you made whatever film... They were telling you to make, and they told him to go make the return of Dr. X and play the role of Dr. X. 
He thought it was just crap. He didn't want to do it. He was like, this is, this is bad. But there are some moments in this film that are remarkable. Humphrey Bogart comes across in this film as believable as Dr. X. I mean, he just, he just does. He's, Dr. Kane is what they call him. Uh, his character is called Dr. Kane, but his, uh, I, it's a 1939 movie, folks. So if I'm spoiling anything, tough bananas, okay? At this point, you're just going to have to deal with the spoilers. Uh, the character that he plays, who you see there on the screen if you're watching this, Dr. Kane, is actually a guy by the name of Dr. Xavier, who is, how do I put it politely? Oh, yeah, uh, dead. He is deceased. He was executed because, as it turns out, he's a murderer. So he was executed. And the plot of the film follows one of these other doctors who's actually a good guy. He's not a mad scientist or anything. But he has an idea for how to bring people back to life or longevity. And it's all centered on blood and how they use blood. And he's... Um, he brings Dr. Xavier back to life using this process, which is, of course, imperfect. Dr. Xavier needs to uh, get fresh blood, and so he becomes this kind of vampirish. although he's not a vampire. He doesn't bite people, but he does cut them open and drain their blood, and he uses their blood to stay alive. It's, it's kind of creepy. Bogart hated this film. That's what you need to understand. Bogart thought this film was just absolute crap. He demanded a raise from Warner for having been made to do this film. And I guess I can see his point, but I will tell you this. There's a life lesson in this, and that is that if you watch this film, Bogart sells it. He sells being a dead mad scientist doctor determined to, to live on. You gave me this life and I'm going to keep it, he says, as long as I can. And he sells that. And he's believable. I mean, that little short clip that I was playing there a few moments ago of him in the Mad Scientist album, or Mad Scientist jacket with the bunny rabbit in his hands and the gloves and the, the hair, the Frankenstein hair, is just, it's believable. And he sells it. And it's just a reminder that, you know, even if you're doing something that you don't really want to do, but you signed a contract, you agreed to do it, you should give it your all. And Bogart certainly gives it his all in this film, and I, I think that that's one of the life lessons that you can take from this film. The other thing that I find just absolutely, I found absolutely fascinating about this film was, again, as I told you, Bogart is the third listed star of this film. Below him is a guy by the name of Dennis Morgan, who plays Dr. Flegg or not Dr. Fleck, Dr. What's-His-Name. Can't remember his name now. The good guy. Above him is Rosemary Lane, and above the, the, the top billing goes to a guy by the name of Wayne Morris. Now, Wayne Morris is a fascinating character, person. Plays, a good, plays, a, plays kind of a funny character. He's a newspaper reporter in the movie, and he uncovers, of course, this whole story in the process of being fired because he reports that this movie star that he's interested in romantically uh, has been murdered. 
never seems to stop to think that he might be the prime suspect, but he reports that she's been murdered. It's all over their paper. And of course, she isn't dead because Dr. X, unbeknownst to the reporter, has brought her back to life and yada, yada, yada. Wayne Morris is also a studio actor. He is, he's been an actor in the, in the Warner system. And while he will go on to make his name in Westerns later on, Right now, at this point in his career, 1939, he is seen as a very fresh-faced, optimistic, eager kind of guy. And he is seen as someone that the studio, they, they've got him under contract, not so much because they love his work, but because they want to keep him away from the other studios. There was a time when when baseball teams and football teams did that, they would sign players to contracts. Just to, They didn't care about the player. They just didn't want anybody else having him. And so it's kind of what happens to Wayne Morris. And he's, he's, he's getting big bit roles. He's in Kid Galahad, um, but not really anything big until he gets this lead role. I won't call it a starring role, but this lead role in The Return of Dr. X, which is so bad that Humphrey Bogart is bad-mouthing the film everywhere he, every chance he gets, so nobody ends up seeing it. And Wayne Morris kind of gets forgotten over that. But in 1941, two years later, World War II breaks out in the Pacific Ocean, and Wayne Morris, like many folks of that era, like many uh, actors of that day, ends up serving in the United States Navy. He becomes an F-6F Hellcat fighter pilot. I didn't plan on this. He enlisted in the Navy. It turns out that he had learned to fly playing roles in movies of pilots and figured he'd better learn to fly so he could, you know, be a good actor at it. And the Navy picked up on that, sent him to flight school for them, turned him into a fighter pilot. And he is one of the fighter pilots of the F-6F Hellcat which is which is then stationed aboard the brand new aircraft carrier by 1943, USS Essex, otherwise known as CV-9. And along with his fellow F-6F fighter pilots, he goes into World War II, which is, you know, again, not all that uncommon at this point, but he is a fighter pilot at this point. A, and as you can see there, if you're watching the, the video, he's, a, he's an ace. He's a fighter pilot ace. Over the course of the two years of the war that he's in there, 43, 44, and 45, so I guess three years, he will shoot down seven Japanese aircraft. He's an ace plus. He will return to the, to the Essex on four occasions. Or is it three occasions? I don't remember. I guess it's three occasions. With his plane so badly shot up, that nobody can do, figure out how he managed to land the plane. It was in that bad of condition, but he manages to land the plane and he walks away from it. You know what they say in pilot lingo, any, any landing you can walk away from is a good one, right? He serves very, very well in the Pacific War and becomes a highly successful fighter pilot. He wins three distinguished flying crosses, three of them. He is, it's just a really, really incredible story. 
his his bravery, his air medals. By the way, you got four distinguished flying crosses. The the idea here that he I'm trying to to express to you is that this guy is a hero. His third distinguished flying cross citation reads as follows: for distinguishing himself by heroism and extraordinary achievement while participating in an aerial fight against the enemy in the vicinity of the northern Philippines on the 24th of October, 1944. If you know your history, you know that that's the Battle of the Philippine Sea. While serving as a pilot of carrier-based fighter airplane on a combat air patrol mission, he intercepted an overwhelming enemy airborne attack. And even though he was outnumbered, he attacked and personally destroyed two enemy aircraft while airborne and aided materially in dispersing the enemy attack. His heroism, skill, and courage were at time, were at all times in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Naval Service. I guess what I need you to really understand here is that this guy who finds himself in a movie two, three years, four years before that with Humphrey Bogart, that Humphrey Bogart just hated, and yet still put into it a professional effort. You can't watch that film and not see that. You, the, the film may be ridiculous. The script may be outrageous, at least stupid. But the acting is not bad. These actors were professionals, and they put their best effort into it. And Wayne Morris, unfortunately, never really got the credit that he deserved for, for anything that he did before that. After the war, he returns to acting. He's still under contract to Warner. He's still used primarily in Westerns as a, you know, not a lead character. And he spends the rest of his life making those movies. He makes movies until 1959, when on September 14th, 1959, the Navy, because they've kept him as a reserve training pilot, is observing some aerial maneuvers aboard USS Bonhomme Richard. And unfortunately, Wayne Morris has a heart attack on the bridge and passes away before they can get him uh, to shore. His last movie, which he'd just finished filming, won't be released for another two years. It won't be released until 1961. The 57 missions that he flew during the Second World War, Three planes shot up so bad they had to be just dumped and nobody could figure out how he got back. Seven air combat victories. Plus, he helped sink a ship. I mean, and you'd never know it. You'd never watch that film, The Return of Dr. X, and imagine that this young man playing this eager newspaper reporter who thinks that this is going to be, he's trying to solve the murder and, you know, win the girl at the same time. And, You'd never get that impression of him. But here it was, a film I'd never seen before, a film that I'd, I'd heard bad things about, but I, it was on, so I was going to watch it anyway. And since it was on Turner, you know, there's no commercials in it. So, And I, as I sat there enthralled watching it, I just realized the life lessons that are found here, that no matter how bad you think something is, you put your best effort into it. You make it as real as it can be. And then the story of Wayne Morris, who was generally considered a much better actor after his war experience. He came back, they, the writing about him says that he came back much more 
deep and much more intense, even more than, than he had been before. He will perform amazingly in one of the best war movies ever made, Paths of Glory, which if, you, if you've never seen, I can't recommend that highly enough. Paths of Glory, it stars Kirk Douglas. And it's all I'm going to tell you about it. That one is, if you haven't seen it, see it. He's buried at Arlington National Cemetery with full military honors because here was a man whose patriotism, his courage, and his service were important. And then when it was done, like Washington, like Cincinnatus, he put that aside and went back to what he was doing before. He wasn't a farmer, but he was an actor. And while he never became a household name as an actor, he loved what he was doing. He kept on doing it. And in Humphrey Bogart's worst film, the film that Bogart hated the most, I met an actor whose life offers a glimpse into the golden era of Hollywood. As, while his military service stands as a testament to his dedication to his country. In a time when the lines between the real, R-E-E-L, and the real, R-E-A-L, are often blurred in our world today, and even in that day, Wayne Morris exemplified the best of both. And now... Go watch The Return of Dr. X. You'll see what I'm talking about.